So how many in here have ever looked at a situation, maybe in the church or, or somewhere else, and you saw things happening, you saw the way it was going, and you said, someone should fill in the blank. Somebody should do something. Somebody should, right? We like that phrase, don't we? Because it's easy to kind of look out and like, hey, this is, that's wrong. Or this should be better. Or, this could be better. It's easy to look at it and say, someone should do that. Why is it so easy to say someone instead of, you know what, I should do? Why is it so easy to, to kind of separate ourselves when we recognize a need, when we recognize a dysfunction, when we recognize something, and, and I mean something that we actually have the power uh, to, to deal with. One of the, I, I think one of Satan's chief distractions in this world is to get us distracted by things we have no ability to control. And then we could say all day someone should, but we, you know, there's really nothing we could do about it. But I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about when it is in our lives, it's in our community, it's in our church, it's in our family or my own life, whatever, and we say, you know, someone should do something. Why do you think it is that you're able to recognize the need in that moment? Who do you think showed it to you? Was it our own incredible wisdom in which we are observant? Somebody in here is like, well, maybe... You see, God uses all of his people. And when we are healthy as a church and as individual Christians, the idea of someone should starts to disappear. And the idea of what can I do, asking that question, instead of stating someone should, we start asking what can I do, how can I help, starts to take over. And it's not that, one person becomes burdened and, and has to try to fix everything or be in charge of everything or be overworked. It's that God starts to use his body and we each have contributions. We each can give a little, but the collective effort together as God lays on people's hearts. And many times the concern that he lays on our heart is what we notice out in, in, in around us. And I'm telling you, after, after over 20 years of ministry, I am telling you this is a truth in, in God's community, in churches, is that many times we notice the very thing that God wants us to work in. He's given us a heart for it. He's given us eyes to see. He's given us ears to hear. And those things that we look at and we just think, man, someone should do something. Many times that is God's way of telling us, I want you to do something. And I've given you the heart to do it. That's why you recognize it. Because you already have the heart for it. Now you may look at it and say, well, I don't have the skill set for that. I, don't, I, I recognize it. You know what? God can fill in every single one of those blanks. And so today, to close out this series on becoming, we're going to talk about what it means to be a worker in the harvest field. 
Because that's what we are called to be. So look with me in Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this verse right here, it fills me with both hope and excitement. And at the same time, it's a sobering verse. It's, it's a difficult one for me to accept the full truth of what it says because what he's telling us is that the need is bigger than the work, than the workers. Now, do we believe that? You see, I think a lot of times we can look at our churches and we're like, oh, I, you know, I don't know that there's a lot more that we can do. And Jesus says, oh, no, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, the laborers to bring in a harvest, what are they? They are the workers who know how to bring in the harvest. They are the laborers who who know what they're doing. They have become the type of laborers that can be trusted to bring in a harvest. And Jesus tells us we even got to pray that God would send those people out, that God would find those people that don't say someone should, and they say, let me do something, God, anything, God. Let me work. And so I want us to look at exactly, just kind of dig down a little bit into these verses because it it tells us kind of everything we need to know about becoming a disciple maker. Because remember, that is our our last step, is that we, we become a worshiper, we become a student of Scripture and prayer, we become a servant witness, and then we become a disciple maker. And we saw last week it is a a responsibility that God has given us. It's not something that we can just take lightly. It's not just for, you know, a special group of people that are advanced in their spirituality. It is the natural course of every Christian's life that they should become a disciple maker in time. If we are maturing and growing as God wants us to, we will become a disciple maker in some form. It's not that everybody will look the same because we all have different gifts but we will engage in disciple-making at some level. And the last step in really understanding being a disciple-maker is that, one, the mission reveals the need. You see, this is what we see here. It says that, that Jesus, what was the mission? He went out proclaiming the gospel and healing, bringing healing to every disease and affliction, okay? He was doing what he could. That was his mission. We're not called to go out and heal like Jesus healed, but we are called to share the gospel. And Jesus was doing that very thing. He's going from town to town to town, traveling, speaking the gospel, telling people the good news of the kingdom. And while he is doing that, the people start to emerge. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It's only through the power of the gospel that true change can happen. 
And that's what was happening. As Jesus was going town to town, more and more of the need was being revealed. Crowds started to come out. There were people who needed more and more healing. The the depth of healing was revealed. And it says Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. Think of this. When he saw it, it's in the process of doing the ministry that God gave him that he sees the need. And so sometimes what happens in our world, I I really believe this, is we wait for God to reveal the need to us when God says, no, be active in doing what I called you to do and the need will present itself. You'll see the need because you're engaged at the heart level of the kingdom of God and the need will present itself. And many times that's what happens. People start coming to church, they start getting involved, they start studying scripture, and then suddenly something hits them and they see something. They go, you know, someone should. What do you think that is? The need is presenting itself. God is revealing to a person's heart, here's an area where you can serve. Now, let me let people off the hook who think that what I'm about to say is that you are responsible for solving every problem you see. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about, that it's, it, you, you feel this drive, you see it, and you're like, hmm, this could be better. And I know it could be better. And it's not an insult against anybody. You're not fault-finding, which we're going to talk about in a second, but it's not fault-finding. It's just literally you see it, and you're like, I see something that I don't know that other people see. And someone should do something about this. That someone is you. Because God has laid it on your heart through the course of you walking with God and listening to Him. The work of the gospel is revealing a broader need or a specific need or some kind of need that God is now directing you to be a part of. Now we may look at it and say, I have no idea where to start. I don't know. But you know, the gospel... One is the answer for all, the the need of all needs. And that's why we see it was in the process of Jesus sharing the gospel, out preaching to the people, doing the core work of the kingdom of God, that the rest of the needs started to emerge. And it will be the same for us. The more we engage in gospel ministry, the more we will see the needs that, that need to be fulfilled in order for the gospel to be successful. You see, it's not, you know, you know, rabbit trails leading all over the place to different things. It's not trying to solve every problem in the world that we see. It's that we see, I want to lead someone to the gospel, but now I realize they don't trust church people because they've been hurt or, or they've, they've never really heard the gospel. So we don't know. We see other needs that can be met that open doors and build bridges into people's lives so that they will hear the gospel. But the gospel must remain central. Now, I want you to think of it like this. Here's an example. Let's say a person feels a a deep, real sense of loneliness and isolation in life. What's the first thing we naturally think? Well, they need friends. I mean, if a person's lonely, they they need friends. That's kind of the... The easy answer to this, you know, they need friends. They need community. And while that is a part of the answer, the larger answer may be along the lines of this person needs to understand who they are in Christ, find their identity in the love of God, and be good with that, 
and learn not to base their sense of self-worth on being accepted by others. Now, then, once that happens, they are then able to develop healthy relationships that benefit both people and make an impact for the kingdom and the glory of God. You see, sometimes we want to rush to the end. And it's like, oh, they just need friends. Let's just get them friends. Let's get them friends. You know what? Those friends may do more harm than good. Unless it's rooted in the gospel. And once it is rooted in the gospel, now there's a true, firm foundation that both people are drawing from. And so we don't have any codependency happening here where it's like, you need to meet every need. I have one friend and you're it and I need everything from you. You know, that doesn't happen. And they're able to then, iron sharpens iron. They're able to push each other forward, pray for each other, care for each other, but keep the gospel central. And now the work of God is happening. And so, that sense of loneliness at the beginning could be and probably is rooted in people looking for people to provide what only God can. And if the gospel then is the answer to that, then People, of course, have to invest in this person. But it's not up to me to try to meet every relational need that they have. It's for me to introduce them to Jesus who can meet every need that they have. But through that process, they see that I care. They see that people do care. They see that the church does care, that the church will invest. But then they're pointed to the true answer in Jesus Christ. This is what I mean by the gospel work reveals the need and it meets the need and we have to stay on topic no matter what because there is a real problem okay that we have in churches of getting distracted and it's not a malicious distraction but it is too many times in churches we want to meet every need that a person or the community has And so churches end up with like 9,000 programs all looking for resources and people and time and, okay, we're going to cook for Jesus and we're going to exercise for Jesus and we're going to garden for Jesus and we're going to, I mean, we just, all of a sudden we have all of these programs where we're trying to help people and I, I get it, but you know what's getting lost in the mix? The gospel ministry, the true core and heart of what people really need and so we have to keep that focus that this what we do as a church has to be about the gospel all the time it has to be about making disciples why because that's the job jesus gave us before he left he said what he said make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey all that i have commanded he gave us the job And as we engage in that, we will find different needs will present themselves. And so we do it. Because it will help achieve the main goal. But if we get spread too thin and do too many things, the main goal gets lost. And so what this means is that a church has to learn to say no. (laughs) Hey, we should do this. Well, is is it really in line with the gospel? How is this helping us make disciples? How is this bringing people to Jesus? Well, I don't know. I, I just I think it could build a sense of community. Okay, that's not bad. But how is the goal? What's the next step? After this sense of community, how are we bringing them to Jesus? 
Most of the time it stops there. And we have to make sure that last step is always present in everything we do. And if that last step isn't present, we need to not do it. Because our resources are limited. And so we want to make sure we're focused on the gospel. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was going around. He's preaching the gospel to people. And it revealed the deeper need that, man, these people really need the gospel. They need help. They need people to love them. But it was rooted in the truth. And so, we have this idea that if we engage in the work that God gives us to do, we'll find out what else we need to do along the way. The needs will present themselves. You see, it drew out even more compassion from Jesus. And that even seems weird, doesn't it? But it says that he's traveling, he's doing this, and it says he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. Now that word compassion means literally in the Greek to heave. He was driven from the inside because of what he saw. So it drove him even more to share the gospel. It drove him even more to be among the people, to go do this, because the more he saw the need, the more he knew the answer was they needed the gospel. They needed him. Now here's the thing. Jesus was just one person in one place and time during his earthly ministry. He couldn't be multiple places at a time. But this is where the genius and the... the miraculous nature of the church comes into play after his resurrection what did jesus say he says it's good that i go away because if i go i will send the helper because his church is worldwide his church has the same spirit which means the same spirit that will bless the same mission no matter what no matter where and if we engage in that mission the holy spirit will empower us And so we have our little slice of the world that we work in. And as we engage in that, there's no telling what God could reveal in which we see a deeper need. I want to give you an an example really fast of how sometimes we can be engaged in something and then find a bigger purpose within it. Now, there's no bigger purpose than the gospel. But say we get engaged in the gospel, we may find a, a better way of sharing the gospel in our community as we try to do it, as we kind of run into maybe resistance or, or we find out, wow, people really are li- willing to listen. All we got to do is actually tell them. Who knew? It's amazing. See, I heard a story when I was working on my doctorate at Midwestern Seminary. There was a, a demon project. Uh, at the end of your demon, you do this big uh, doctor to ministry. You do this big project, ministry project, that, that kind of no one else has done. And there was a guy who wanted to do a project following up with church planters whose plants had failed. Now, that's a tough one. Now, did you know that the majority of church plants fail? It's a difficult, difficult ministry to try to plant churches and to go in somewhere and get, you know, get traction and get it growing and get it established. It's a very difficult thing to do. And... There are people that really give their lives to this, and then it fails. And this guy kind of started thinking, like, what, what happens to them? <laughs> you know, where do they go? What's the follow-up? How do, because our, our you know, state convention, national convention, funds them. And, I mean, they help and they'll train. But he said, is there any real follow-up if it doesn't work? 
And so he started his project, he started researching it, and he started trying to meet the needs of, you know, how can we really minister to these people whose church plans had failed? And in the process, he found it was a huge problem. Bigger than he could handle. And so, technically, his project failed. Because the scope of what he was trying to do was so much bigger than what he or anyone understood. But you know what it did do? Is it opened the door to Southern Baptist Convention and North American Mission Board and others like, okay, we need to pay attention to this. This is a real problem. We've kind of, sorry guys, we kind of dropped the ball. These people are suffering, literally. They, they gave everything to try to start a church plant and they moved to a place they didn't know anybody and when it didn't work, we just kind of said, well, sorry. Let us know if you want to try again. And it wasn't intentional, but it revealed a much bigger need in that moment. All of a sudden, it was like, whoa, we've got... And they knew what needed to happen then. But it was in the process of doing the work that the real work showed itself. We as a church will be the same way. When we are about God's work, the bigger work will show itself. But it won't happen until we're engaged in the work. And I think a lot of churches and I think a lot of people waste a lot of time because they're like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's like, I already told you what to do. Go make disciples. And if you're serious about making disciples, as you're doing that, I'll tell you, I'll reveal the need, and you'll see, oh, someone should really take the gospel to these people. Okay, now we're talking. Now you see your calling. Now you see your direction. And why do I know this will happen? Because Jesus told us the harvest is plentiful. Now, we either believe Jesus in this point or we don't. And I mean that. There is no black, there is no gray area here. This is, this is one side or the other. If we genuinely believe that the harvest is plentiful, then we have no excuse for not trying to be workers in that field. Finding it. Where is it, God? Now, sometimes it can be hard to recognize the harvest. I, I will grant you that. It's not a guaranteed thing of like, okay, we're going to do this, and it just happens. But it's in the process of trying, of continuing to try, to try, to try. We're going to make disciples. We're doing this. That God sees that we're serious, and he says, okay, these are workers that can be trusted with the harvest because they're keeping the main thing the main thing. And he will send those workers to the field where the harvest is. You see, the harvest is plentiful. It was plentiful in Jesus' day. It is plentiful today. And this, again, is where the body of Christ comes in. Church is not just about this time slot on Sunday morning. We are the church when we go out of this place. Each and every one of us represents the kingdom of God and the hope that God has and you represent that to somebody's life. I promise, you go to church here, there's somebody out there who watches you and you don't know it. There's somebody out there that wants what you have and they don't know how to ask for it. And so what is it that we are told to do? Pray that God would send us to that field. Give us eyes to see where the harvest is. Now, the harvest being plentiful does not mean everything will always work out and be successful. 
He's just saying it is always going to be there. There are people who need to hear the gospel and will believe it. And I don't care if ten people reject the gospel. When one does, that's a celebration. And we focus on the one. But you know what? This says the harvest is plentiful. So it's more than one. There is plenty for this church to handle. The harvest in our little circle of the world right here is more than we could probably pull in if we really believed God and engaged in gospel ministry. We could see amazing things happen. But you know, something amazing was promised though in Acts 1.8 before Jesus is right before he said, you know, make disciples. He also said, stay in Jerusalem. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Again, that whole witness thing. And he said, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria and to the outer ends of the earth. There is a growing nature to the ministry of the gospel in which we start right where we are. But we don't stay right where we are. Our circles continue to get bigger as our ministry succeeds. Now, the main thing stays the main thing. And what is that? To be witnesses for Jesus. To keep the gospel central. But there is a growing nature of it. And so, there is this process that we invest here. We start where you are. You know the whole saying, grow where you're planted? You start where you are. Sharing the gospel. You start with where you are making disciples. And as that happens, your reach just starts to grow. And it gets bigger. And it gets bigger. Until one day we're involved in worldwide missions. Saying, how did we get to this place? God is so good. And you know what doesn't stop happening? The local stuff. We're making disciples locally. We're making disciples area-wide. We're making disciples nationwide. We're making disciples worldwide. And we're engaged in all of it at a level that God makes work. And that is the nature of ministry. It just keeps repeating. But we have to look at it and say, are our efforts producing gospel fruit? This is a question that we have to ask ourselves over and over again. Because like I said, it's possible for us to get distracted and be putting all kinds of effort into things that just aren't producing fruit. And in that case, we're kind of wasting time if we're not producing worshipers, if we're not you know, furthering people's uh, being a, a student of Scripture and prayer and, and deepening their walk, if we're not learning how to be servant witnesses, if we're not becoming disciple makers, if we're not in that process of discipleship, but we're just staying busy, We're not accomplishing for the kingdom what God wants us to accomplish. And if the harvest is plentiful, let's let's pull this together here. If the harvest is truly plentiful, but we're not showing fruit, that means we're in the wrong field. And I mean that, we're in the wrong field. And if we're not producing fruit, then that means it's wasting resources in the wrong field. And when I say wasting it, I mean wasting it. We all got one life to give to God here. I want to try to get the most out of it we can. 
I want to have the biggest impact for the kingdom we can. Now, I'm not comparing with anybody else or any other ministry organization or church or whatever. I, don't, I want them to be as fruitful as they can be. I want us to be as fruitful as we can be. I want to make sure we're in the right field. Because listen to this parable in Luke 13. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9, it says, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. There does come a point now He says three years, and he says, give it another year. So this is four years. So this isn't, you know, oh, I tried to make disciples once, and it didn't work. This is a commitment to the process. But if it doesn't show, if we we commit to something, and over time we give it time, we give it everything it needs to grow, and it doesn't grow, God says, cut your losses, move on. Go to something that will produce fruit. Now, did this say in this parable that the man gave up gardening? No, he says, get rid of the one tree that's not working so the rest can have the nutrients from the soil. And that's what I mean. We can waste personal resources and and even organizational resources on things that aren't producing fruit, and there's no reason for that. Now, I've been unpopular in, in, in previous churches I've served in because... I brought long-standing tradition ministry activities to an end because after 10, 12, even 15 years, I said, are we getting any fruit from this? Like, this requires a ton of effort every year and resources. Has anybody gotten saved? Has anybody come to be a member of our church? Has it produced anything other than activity? Well, no. I said, then we're done. (laughs) Let's move on to something else. And I've had people literally leave churches over that. They're like, we're not doing it. I'm not going to be there. And I'm like, that's why you're at church? For that? Huh. Well, I hope it works out for you wherever you go. And it's not that I was making it personal. It's that we got to be engaged in the right things. Because I truly believe the harvest is plentiful. We just have to farm it correctly. We got to be engaged in the right activities, and that starts with being committed to the discipleship process that Scripture lays out. And don't let anything take away from it. Now, with this parable of the, the fig tree, there are two things I want us to keep in mind about this verse, okay? One, it is okay to expect proper fruit. And I mean that. Everybody not in agreement with me. It's okay to expect proper fruit. If we're putting time and effort into something and we're really investing and it's for the kingdom of God, it's okay for us to be like, okay, we expect to see people saved. We expect to see these things happening. Now, if we're, you know, if we're not engaged in evangelism, don't expect a whole lot of people getting saved. <laughs> but that's not investing in it. If we are investing in it, it is okay to expect proper fruit. A tree, Jesus said, is known by its fruit. A church should be known for producing disciples. That is proper fruit for a church. 
Now, those discipleship means that we embrace fellowship. It means we embrace, you know, scripture and study and worship and, and community. All those things that are good, that are a part of it, they go with it. But the point is that we are making disciples. And so we have to remain committed to cultivating what will produce the right fruit. And two, the gospel is the seed that grows into the proper fruit every time. We cannot produce the proper fruit if our goal is to produce an emotional high during music. We can produce that, but it's not going to get us where we want to be. Our goal has to be to see people become disciples of Jesus Christ who obey what he, has com- what he commanded us. That's it. And we've got to stay focused on that. And when the church is focused on that, presents the gospel, and expects the right fruit, you know what God's going to do? He will lead them to the field where the harvest is. I, I genuinely believe that with all of my heart that when you commit yourself to the right things over time and you develop it, God will then say you are a worker that can be trusted in the harvest field. Because if we can't be trusted in the harvest field, then God won't put us there because he's not going to allow us to damage his kingdom or, or, or make it harder for those that are. He'll put churches, he'll put people on the sideline and say, look, you can stay busy over here. And if you don't think God won't just keep people busy to keep them out of the way, ask the Israelites who wandered for 40 years. Look, you won't do what I say. I will put you over here in time out, and you can just stay as busy as you want to stay. But if you want to engage in my work, commit yourself to my processes, and I will use you. Because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. And so what is the call here? The call is to pray that God would send workers. Isn't that interesting? The harvest is plentiful. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. So what is our responsibility? To be prepared to be workers. And then pray, God, send me to the field. God, I want to go to the field. I want to get there. I want to get called up to the majors. Okay, I want to get the call, God. I want to make disciples. That is my goal. And if we do that and we continue to pray about it, he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're saying, God, send workers. They're they're here. And so this is where the someone should, when we start to recognize, like, okay, God, we need workers in this field. I recognize the field. I recognize the need. God, send workers. God, prepare me to be a worker. Provide some way for it to happen. Jesus is telling us our concern should be the harvest. And what is the harvest? That they become disciples of Jesus Christ. Obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. That, should, that is our goal and it has to remain our goal. And we've got to be passionate about it as a church. Because as we work and as we invest ourselves in becoming what God wants us to be, we'll become more passionate about the harvest and we'll become passionate about God. I want to be a part of it. And you won't be able to stop it. You won't want to stop it. You'll see it and it's like, no, I have to be a part of this. 
at whatever cost. God, I want to be, I'm in. And so I want to show you uh, earlier during announcements, Christina had talked about an organization called Africa Family Rescue. This is a short video from the founders of that ministry. This is a very small ministry as far as organizationally. They focus primarily, and I mean primarily, on all the money that they get going towards building houses, providing for needs, and preaching the gospel to people in extremely impoverished areas of Africa. And so overhead is almost not a thing with them. And so every bit that is given goes directly to help. And I want us to start a partnership with them as a church here stateside. But I want you to hear their story before we talk any further. Providence was his name, and as we taught him American culture, he taught us about extreme poverty, the devastation of war and diseases, and starvation that was ravishing his country. We asked Providence to find us a few families that we could assist, and within weeks, a package of over 200 families' photos were in front of us, whose bios were filled with more grief and anguish than we'd seen in our lifetime. We had to help. As we reached out to organizations and churches, our efforts to connect them with help fell short. Soon God made it clear to us that these were our families. Ben insisted we needed to physically travel to Africa, but I wasn't going. No way. Melody agreed that if we could miraculously raise the money, that would be our sign to go. But even after selling our wedding rings, we were not completely funded, and I began to abandon the trip. 24 hours prior to our scheduled departure, a stranger came to our door with cash in the exact dollar amount we needed. God's will was undeniable and he allowed me just enough faith to follow him, kicking and screaming 10,000 miles away from my home. When my feet walked the red soil inside that African village, for the first time, I felt at home. Working through a local church, we began to start a 36-month program with a mission to restore hope and dignity to families affected by extreme poverty in Africa. The program allows our families who are often starving widows and orphans to receive food, nutrition, health care, shelter, and ultimately become financially independent. In the last couple decades, God has allowed us to be ambassadors for nearly a thousand families in desperate need of knowing that God has not forgotten them and that he knows their name. We've had the privilege of watching families go from extreme poverty to successful business owners who are now self-sustained. We also have had the privilege of repairing and building over 150 homes, refurbishing over 50 water wells, building churches and leading teams on a range of projects which include everything from mudding kitchens to cultivating land to fetching water and delivering livestock. We believe that every person matters to God and we want every family to know that they are safe, loved, and treasured by their Heavenly Father and their brothers and sisters in Christ. Join us in our mission to reclaim widows and orphans in Africa. You can do this by sponsoring a family, supporting our ministry financially, or joining us on our annual mission trip. 
Our organization cares deeply about the integrity of your donations and wants to witness change happen. If you have any questions about our ministry, our story, or how you could help, we would love to take the time to talk to you about it. What do y'all think about that? Well, God, if you raise the money, we'll go. And then a stranger shows up with the exact amount they need. You see, they said someone should, and God said, no, you should. And they said, okay, well, God, you're going to have to provide. And he says, cool, here, go. Now, I know Benjamin. He's the real deal. His heart is for the gospel. He leads people to Christ all the time there. And I want our church to establish a missions offering for Africa Family Rescue. I don't want this to be a budgeted item that's just a part of the church budget. I want us as a church to give specifically to support them, to help make this happen, and build a partnership with them. Because you heard, they take a yearly trip. I would like for this to grow into a point where we are the hands and feet over there helping, where we are working, where we are are joining them in the work. And trust me, these trips are not your I'm on a mission trip vacation trip. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, I've been on them. I, I, I've been on the mission trip vacation trip. This isn't it. This is a work trip. You're going to go over and you're going to build a house. You're going to dig a well. You're, you're going to help them farm. You are going to walk through a jungle and take clothes and food to people who don't have it. This is a very real thing. Now, I'm not saying we're doing this next week. Okay. But I want this to grow into an ongoing mission endeavor of this church to help remind us that there's something much bigger going on here than just Pleasant Hill. I want us making disciples here, and I want our ministry to ever grow and to continue to increase in the Acts 1-8 model, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I think flying halfway across the world kind of defines as ends of the earth. But I want us to get that ministry mindset that God has given us a responsibility to make disciples. And if we will commit ourselves to it, then that means we start here and God will reveal the need. He'll reveal what we need to do. He will open the right doors for us to be able to do that here. He will open the doors for us to do it on a larger scale. He's showing us, I believe, with Africa Family Rescue, a way we can impact lives directly. But we have to commit ourselves to it. And so, I want, like I said, I want to establish this as an ongoing just mission offering. Whatever we bring in in a month, we'll send to them. We don't have a monthly goal. We don't have, it's not a program. I just want us to invest in helping them succeed. And so if you want to give to that, just put Africa Family Rescue or AFR. For short, you got that, Michelle? (laughs) AFR. We get people counting. It's like, what is AFR? Uh, AFR in the memo line, then we know it goes to that, and it'll just be put aside, and we'll send out. As we get, we will give. But I want this to become part of who we are because the body of Christ, it's not about one person. It's not about one place. It is about the kingdom of God. And so today thinking about the kingdom of God, about making disciples, we do remember that this is about the body 
of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. We do the work. He calls the shots. It's his work. It's his mission. It's our work. It's his mission, his authority, his kingdom. It's our work. And we do it together. Nobody can accomplish this on their own. It takes the body of Christ working together. And in many ways, that's what communion is about. It's about us acknowledging that we are all together in the body of Christ. None above the other. We all need the blood of Jesus. We all need the the sacrifice of Jesus. We are all under the lordship of Jesus together. And so the night before his crucifixion, Jesus took the bread. And he said, this bread is my body, which shall be broken for you. And after he'd taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that every time we take the Lord's Supper together, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he returns. We acknowledge that we are the body of Christ And it is not about any one of us. It is about all of us under the lordship of Jesus. And so together, as the body of Christ, we take the bread. And we drink of the cup. Father God, I thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us, God. The ability to be here together. To worship you. God, thank you that you have called us to your ministry fields, God. We do pray that we would be prepared, that we would be the laborers that are prepared, that you would send us to your harvest field. God, our desire is to see people come to know you, to see lives transformed. That your name, much would be made of your name. God, we don't care if anybody knows our names. We just want the world to know the name of Jesus. We want the world to know the love of Jesus. And God, I pray that you put it in our hearts. To do whatever it takes to expand your kingdom. To be those workers bringing in the harvest. Because, God, we do believe the harvest is plentiful. So, God, lead us to it. Prepare us to be the kind of people that can be trusted in your field. God, that we wouldn't be afraid of the work that's required for it. That we wouldn't shrink back from the personal cost and sacrifice necessary to do it. That we wouldn't allow fear or pride or misplaced priorities keep us from it. God, help us to become, help us to grow in grace and become the worshipers, the students, the servants, and the disciple makers you want us to be. May our lives be about becoming what you want us to be. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you and keep you. You are